0: that you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. Who cares about what people think about us?
1: Yeah, I like the I like football season. All the things that go with it.
0: Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo joined by former co-host of the pff nfl yeah. podcast back in the day mike renner making his return how you doing buddy doing great that was gosh what was it,
1: three years two years ago three years ago was a mi- it's been a minute now and yeah i still got the sam monson face behind me which
0: i'm not too thrilled about but oh how did we not yeah oh we, we do have go. we do have a uh, my dreams a headshot <laughs> of you that we can uh, if we could stitch that in that it's is also point. very dated <laughs> yeah that's also dated you've uh you've rebranded your your current look and you guys are rebranding the two for one drafts podcast yeah. right how about I, that evolving i like to call it evolving. evolving it's huh? evolving too how are you guys evolving the
1: two for one drafts podcast aren't you
0: rebranding in a couple
1: weeks? yeah well i can't not gonna drop the name just yet okay but it's gonna rebrand in the middle of july we're gonna revamp to not be not so weary it's called two for one drafts and no one knows why it's called two for one drafts truthfully it was it's gonna just be dumb called- name from the beginning it's gonna be called weekend stories or something <laughs> yeah basically but it's not to pigeonhole us into just it was a rookies and drafts podcast which is a niche you just like stories happen during the season that you would like to talk about that you're just like no we're a rookies and drafts podcast. we're not going to talk about that right and so now we're going to touch on more than just rookies and drafts
0: it's going to be the scope of it so all right well that makes sense so if people go and subscribe right now to two for one drafts yes it'll be the same feed it'll just be uh i can't wait to see the, the it's going to be like corporate mic showing up and everything all oh, wear suits every podcast yes i can't wait that's gonna be part of the rebrand right <laughs> yeah i'll all, uh... show up on time too apparently
1: yeah I'm you gotta kidding. be on time gotta
0: that. be decked out no more uh no more joggers as business cash as mm. we say right yeah sadly so go check that out two for one drafts podcast but we got mike on the show here i just wanted to talk general what did i title this secrets of the pff player evaluation system yeah. that should draw people in but we'll talk about how how we uh have evaluated draft prospects through the years, how you like to do it because you are the person behind our our draft boards and, and all the draft analysis and everything. So we'll talk a little bit about that, yeah. Yeah. The
1: the also the evolution. The, the evolved's Yeah. the, the keyword on the show, the evolution from just looking back and, and I did a lot of I've done a lot of looking back at past yeah. draft evals that we said uh, over the past uh, month and a half or so, whatever since the drafts ended and kind of just how we approached it back then and what we looked for how we kind of came to our
0: big boards and then how we approach it now and how we're trying to approach it in the future and where we're going all right well we could get into that and uh, we'll do a little preview of the 2022 draft very light yes light preview just to figure out where the strengths and weaknesses are but let's get into the let's get into the player evaluation system right now because uh, if you have premium stats for the NFL, you know that goes all the way back to 2006. If you have it for college, which, by the way, it's a separate subscription, but if you have it for college, it goes back to 2014, the first year that we graded every player mm-hmm. on every player, on every play in college football. Um, what have you found over the last month and a half about how we have taken the grades and, and tried to put them into, say, draft boards and projecting players? Yeah, I mean, I've gone back
1: to the – the focus draft, the first one we did, the the focus mock, way back in 2015, that was that almost doesn't even count. <laughs> Some of them do. Some that, of the yeah. picks count. Troy so, Hill counts. So for <laughs> context on that, I think that dra- that mock draft, or the we finished grading that first season. So it was 2014 season. We finished grading what like a month before the draft. Yeah, we that's finished our, grading all the college games. By
0: right? the way, famous famous PFF story here. This was Chris bought the company just before the 2014 season. We had about 10 people who graded every single game in the NFL that got us through the NFL. Neil assured Chris that we would also do the college football season that year. And Chris looks at him and says, okay, how many more guys do we have to hire? And Neil just looks at him and says, zero. That means all of us took our normal workload, added 868 games or whatever it is to it, and we finished grading every single college game the night of the Super Bowl, which was like our – Soft deadline, mm-hmm. so yes, sorry, just to I thought the story was great because we all like crammed the month of January to make sure that we got those games done, so yeah, the two thousand fourteen season was drafted for the fifteen draft, yeah, a couple months in it and, and so that one we had no we had.
1: Famously, I will say, famously, Trey Flowers as a first rounder. Famously, Grady Jarrett as a first yeah. rounder in those years went fourth and fifth. And round then not so famously, not so famously. I mean, Troy Hill actually. We Gary had as a Peters. First Gary Peters. We had, we ended up in the second he, second rounder. round. Okay. But Gary Peters. We had Jalen Strong in the top fifteen that year. Yeah. Some some L's as well. But we. I think the biggest thing we came at it in the beginning was production. Like it was. How productive were we at a college football field? And that was the guys that were most productive. Shane Ray at eighth. The, he had the highest pass rushing grade in the country that year. Yeah, we're like, okay, highest pass rushing grade. You're top ten pick. When it's like, there are every guy. I think the biggest thing I've learned is that every single guy, outside of a few outliers, has to improve once they get to the NFL. They, they have to get better in some way, shape, or form. And so the guys that can improve the guys that have the physical tools to make their life easier in some aspect are the ones that can i guess like then improve more i guess, i'm not sure exactly yeah i get sure what exactly, you're saying, yeah. Yeah,
0: what there, you're saying. Like, so you other than say the bosses yeah right Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so okay like the Boses, i mean, sam who's by the way sam sam will be back hmm. next week if you guys miss him um, Sam famously mentions like the knock on Joey Bosa was people thought he was maxed out. It's like, okay, fine, but maxed out Joey Bosa is a top 10 NFL, yeah. edge already, right? So um, those guys still seem to be um, outliers the Boses and Garrett yeah. and Chase Young, right? They're at the high end.
1: It, but the you're saying identify what can improve. Yes.
0: yes. So what can improve? But also just what are you doing at the college level that will translate, right? Yes. And because grades grades are constructed, grades are production based, mm-hmm. but there are so many different schemes and things that people are asked to do, and then yeah. athleticism matters certainly at other positions. Yeah, right? I think
1: what can improve and then roll. So like Scooby Wright famously, we were we called him like a second rounder. And it's like his role was playing spot drop zone in Arizona's defense or blitzing. Right. That doesn't exist in the NFL. You can't just back off into off-cover three and sit and make tackles in front of you all day long against tight ends. That's not going to happen. Right. Like you're, you're guarding wide receivers if you're a linebacker in today's NFL. And so you better move like a cornerback. If you're going to go in the first round, you're going to go in the second round, you're going to be that guy that's coveted. So I think those are the biggest things that have evolved our process. And rec, like I said, recognizing the role and then recognizing what can improve. And so just because a guy grades well – doesn't If he did it in a role, that's going to be nothing like what he's going to be asked to do in the NFL. he you kind of throw that grade out the window then and see try to isolate the areas where he is going to be asked to do what he's going to do in the NFL
0: and then evaluate those. So linebackers were definitely some of our early misses. Yeah. Um, Scooby Wright, Paul Dawson, those were guys who were bad now, athletes. Paul Dawson – if you've was, heard the stories around Cincinnati, and it wasn't just. There was some off-field as yeah, well. Yeah, right. There it was, some, was not just the fact that he ran a four nine. But so, but but even if he was to play, yeah, it probably would have been a challenge at at his athletic level. You, then you, yes, you do have guys like T.J. Edwards with the Eagles. You don't want to go to like just specific one offs here and there. But either way, we early on our biggest misses, I would say, unathletic linebackers who were productive struggled, and then there was a guy like Deion Jones who did not grade well in college and was extremely athletic. Um, I've got a theory that linebacker, and I'd like to know what your thoughts are on this, that yeah. linebacker is becoming the most challenging position on defense. I know corner is always, you know, you're one-on-one, you're on an island. But linebacker, everything offenses are doing is to try to put, is to just make linebackers wrong, and you must see this a ton at the college level.
1: Yeah, I, I think I said on one of the pods we just did that SEC linebackers this past year were under siege. They, they were under attack. Like yeah. every, every single offense in the SEC, Florida, Alabama, their playbook was intended on, like you said, making them wrong. Yeah. Like they have no right answer, and so you're going to get, you know, downgrades on their grading profile, like their coverage downgrades. Where it's like, I don't know, unless you're Ruben Foster, you know, you're not making these plays. Right. <laughs> you know, unless you really are seeing the game at Luke Keekly's level, you're just you're not making these plays because you have three different things going on that you're seeing at once that you have to account for all of them, and. I think a lot of that falls on DCs then at that point. And that's why I don't think a lot of linebackers get – a lot of people see linebackers as replaceable uh, in the NFL or a lot of teams don't invest in them
0: because it's a very scheme-dependent position also. Even – I try to explain our grades as well at the NFL level, you know, because Devin White's a guy who comes up a lot and makes a lot of splash plays, but a lot of them are as a blitzer and, you know, he flies around the field. He makes Mm -hmm. a lot of positives – but I think also the casual fan doesn't realize the twenty-yard dig route, you know, over the middle of the field yeah. is often, in part because of the linebacker, right? Mm-hmm. Is because he's not getting depth and all these things. I just think everything that they're asked to do, get depth in zone, work downhill, cover a tight end man to man, cover a back man to man, tackle Lamar Jackson in the open field, take yeah. on a pulling guard, all the things <laughs> they have to do. That's like fifteen skill sets rolled into one. Yeah, at linebacker. It, it really,
1: I think that is the biggest thing. It's. You can be exceptional in one aspect and very deficient in another aspect because, like you said, being able to recognize play action and drop under a crosser is not the same as being able to track down a running back in the flat. They're not even like close to the same thing. One, you're going backwards. One, you're going forwards. One's like uh, how fast you're reading the play. One is just purely reacting. So that is the tough thing about linebackers. That, Like I said, it's gonna be, it's going to be role-dependent. It's going to be what you're asked to do. Um, is going to
0: kind of dictate how you then produce. How, how much do you take uh, the senior bowl into account then with, at those positions where you do get to see a guy? I mean, you might see more reps in three senior bowl practices that are mm-hmm. NFL-ish, right, than what you see in 500 snaps, 800 snaps maybe in college, right? So how, how have you taken the senior bowl?
1: I, I love the senior bowl for line of scrimmage. Yeah. Uh, one on the corners and wide receivers and that sort of stuff is, is good. I, I do think the big ends of the spectrum, like if a guy does not lose or vice versa, if a guy doesn't win, um, obviously that's a big red flag. But I do think for the line of scrimmage, because a lot of times you just you don't see that uh, be- because it's such a physically demanding position. There are so few guys who are 6'4", 2'6", so, so defensive end 6'4", 2'60", that run a 4'6". There are so few guys that an, even a Pac-12 offensive tackle may not see one all year. One guy that could sniff the NFL in that regard. And so at that point, if you're not facing one single guy, it's like – it's not close. It's not, it's not near the same thing blocking a guy who's, who's just not athletically or maybe size-wise at an NFL level it is just a completely different animal. So I do think it's big for those evals, even though it, it is not a lot of reps. And that's one thing I told – Everything's a small sample size, Yeah, right? that's one thing yeah. I told uh, Eric Alko, who's the new Shrine Bowl, I'm like, just get more of these one-on-one reps. Let's see more of them. I I don't care about, uh, you know, these run blocking drills that you're doing. To like, like you're really going to coach a guy over the course of a week. It's like, let's see them actually. Let's get them better for eval evaluation. What they can
0: actually do because they're not going to change who they are over the course of three practices. That was, uh, I think, it was Mike Martz famously. Remember Andre Woodson, the uh, QB out of Kentucky, years ago. I think Mike Martz was the senior ball. Uh, code offensive coach or whatever, and he was trying to. He was like, "Oh no, I like my quarterbacks to take their dropbacks like this." And he's probably doing the <laughs> old school like. He ch- was changing their mechanics and everything. It's like, man, this is a showcase. I'm just trying to zip it
1: around here. Yeah, like changing their mechanics, they're gonna. It's not gonna be. It's gonna be a bad eval then. Like it's gonna right. be worse for the
0: eval and try to get them to do something they've never done before. You want the, you want the guys to look good, not necessarily fit them into your yeah. system for uh, for three days. Um, so that uh, what else? I do want to get into like how the college game has evolved because mm-hmm. I think as since we started, you're you're seeing defense. So offenses started running more RPOs, and it's like man, there goes our offensive line evaluation. We don't get to see them in pass protection now. Defenses are adjusting, mm-hmm. and it's like a completely different game. It's just big dudes, three man lines. You don't have two edge rushers, so now it's affecting the defensive side of the ball. It's just making it more difficult to evaluate players, man. Yeah, and I think the biggest
1: thing there that we've improved upon i, I touched on you know jalen strong we had in the top 15 we had corey coleman josh doxson as top 10 players when they were coming out so wide receivers recognizing what production kind of matters or, yeah. or where where to look and what's going to translate to the nfl to kind of limit your your busts your you know to really identify the guys who will still succeed the, you know the michael Thomases of the world uh the aj browns uh, the guys dk Metcalf. we had them one and two that year to recognize that yeah it, DK Metcalf was not productive in college by any sort of total production metric by even pff grades because of the role he was in but where he won and the way he won is where he wanted to win at the nfl you know he was able to win on the vertical route tree consistently even if it didn't end up to a lot of yards because his quarterbacks pretty tough situation he was just running the vertical tree there at Ole Miss so I do think that that's you know winning at the line scrimmage and beating man coverage and one-on-one coverage is so
0: far more important than just racking up empty yards I one of the other things I think I there, there was one year I think we had seven or eight interior defensive linemen as say first or second round picks and a lot of it, there was a lot of good college run defenders coming out that year and even the way the draft unfolded it this was like Austin Johnson from Penn State and uh, this is I think it was Ashawn Robinson and Jaron Reed in the same draft it was all these guys Um, I've seen other people say this too and I think a a challenging thing is just because you can see it and recognize it doesn't mean it's valuable Uh, to me that's one of the most difficult things to understand as an evaluator so like it's easy to see a guy win all the time in the run game and and say I see that I can evaluate it and I know this guy's good check that box and I think that makes you want to rank a guy higher, right? Yeah. And that's different, you know. It, and so it's being able to sort through the stuff that you know you can quantify versus the stuff you know is valuable, you know, to your and, point. And I
1: think that's even, even like NFL play callers. I still think that's a lot of the big bias towards running backs and maybe box safeties drafting like a Jonathan Abram in the yeah. first round, where it's like, oh, he's going to make a lot more plays. Well, it's like that play. Difference between a Jonathan Abram making X Y Z play and some other safety who maybe is not going to be as good as Jonathan Abram in the run game is three yards, two or three yards. The difference between the plays and coverage that Jonathan Abram makes or busts, and the difference between playing coverage that you know a better coverage safety makes is twenty-five yards, thirty yards. They're good the point. big plays that end up. You know who is, who is it? Herb uh, Meyer talking about explosive plays. That's what they're trying to generate. That's how teams score in the NFL nowadays that's the difference between like I said a box safety and a better cover safety
0: so uh any other where else did you go when you're looking back any other big takeaways were there specific takeaways were there certain positions because I, I i know what i know what our grades are strong at as far mm-hmm. as you know positionally and you could find you know the stable numbers and unstable numbers and we do that i think the biggest thing then the kind of the last thing
1: uh, i mentioned wide receivers and i, I think we've done a lot better on wide receivers like even compared to like the NFL I feel like we've been pretty good at wide receivers and and evolving how we evaluate that but it's still the position where it's still kind of just I'm not sure anyone's quarterback it's the most valuable one and you get all this accuracy data you get all these this throw charting and we have an incredible amount more than anyone's ever had at the position and it's still so dependent on it's just so dependent on all so many other factors that
0: it is difficult to really nail down that position no one's nailed it down so from a pff standpoint guys who did not crush it from a grade standpoint mm-hmm. patrick mahomes Dak prescott uh justin herbert even though there were he was on his way I, but he I, didn't would, say
1: I would say he was fine though he had a 90 plus grade at one point it's he about, did like, yeah. i mean he
0: he did but he didn't really progress i mean his nah. career on paper, it looked a little bit like Josh Rosen. Without, like, he had a higher peak than Josh Rosen, but it never really got better.
1: Yeah, yeah. I feel like Herbert's was more – I always just kept coming back to Herbert's Like mental side of the game was so odd. Like He had suddenly yeah. odd decisions on his tape, like right. sliding short on third down. Uh, the throw you know, out take, of the back of the end yeah, zone. Yeah, throwing, a, throwing a Hail Mary out, out of the, the back game. of the end zone. Taking a massive shot diving for the end zone when they were down like 24 points with a minute <laughs> left. And it's like just these plays where it's just – that is not – it just that's what that that's why I was low on Herbert it wasn't necessarily the arm talent and ability to play quarterback it was kind of the mental
0: aspect of the game it was so off in a lot of different games so how do you think quarterback evaluation so. is evolving and because Josh Allen has has essentially bucked the trend. My famous line I say on here all the time is: "Players don't just get better like it's mm-hmm. like it's a Madden <laughs> game, right? They, you don't just add four points to their overall every year. Yeah, you know, guys go up, they go down. And almost every quarterback in the NFL is more dependent on their supporting cast. I think maybe more than ever. I, I think there's fewer guys at the top end of the quarterback spectrum that are just mm-hmm. you know supporting cast agnostic, so to speak, where they can always carry their team. So that's the truth." And then you have a guy like Allen, who's taken the arm talent and feel. You know, Has the position evolved, essentially, that you have to make the plays outside the pocket? They're, they're, like, Should we have been higher on a Mac Jones, who was really productive, or are we gun-shy on that because of the outside-the-pocket stuff? I think I'm not, I don't think
1: it's the outside-the-pocket stuff. I think it's the way NFL offenses have evolved. And you just look at the game now compared to five years ago, the ability to create open throws for quarterbacks— Far far more offenses have that. You know, far more offenses are creating more open guys, more so than ever before in NFL history. And a lot of that helps when an open throw is 45 yards down the football field. If you have an arm that can put it there like that, the windows are a lot bigger down the football field when you do have that arm strength. When you don't have that arm strength, the windows, they like they hole, the holes and those sort of stuff collapse. So it's the guys that can really open up that level of the playbook and then open up the running aspect of the playbook where – nothing kind of brings the defense to its knees and limits what you can do than a running quarterback. They're not running quarterback, mobile quarterback, a guy who can threaten you with the option game with, like I said, the outside the pocket stuff, because that, it's just another way to create. And so I think these offensive coordinators, the minds proliferating around the NFL are creating more and cater, building their offenses for the quarterbacks instead of plugging a quarterback into their offense.
0: So I, I agree, man. So there's uh, the interesting trend to me is the two of the better play callers in the NFL, Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan, Mm -hmm. having good quarterbacks that just, you know, execute their offense. Having a Jared Goff, having a Jimmy Garoppolo, guys where they both signed big contracts, which was the standard in the NFL for years. If you found a starting quarterback that wasn't trash, you signed him to a contract, right? And And they both did that. And then they got to a point where they were like, actually, I want more. I need more than that. I need to have somebody who's going to work beyond the system. So I thought, I I don't know if this is going to be the next common trend, which is essentially we're not satisfied with a starter. Because if you're just ranking quarterbacks, you could, within the last few years, you could easily make a case that Goff or Garoppolo at any given point was in the top 15, top 12, wherever you want to put them. And both teams just said, actually, I'm going from Goff to Stafford. And the Niners, I'm going from Garoppolo to Trey Lance. And so does that end up becoming the trend where, like, a starter just isn't good enough because teams have to – they want that top ten guy or just that ability to keep defenses off balance?
1: I think so. And I think we're going to see it with the Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson extensions, I think. and could be wrong, but I don't think they're going to just give those guys the extensions right away. I, don't, I think they're going to learn from the golf, the Wentz, and be like, hey, you know, these kind of – inconsistent passers guys who have been up and down in that regard until they really show it until they really show they can create those explosive plays with their arm consistently it's going to hold off because it's that that can screw you way faster giving him that big deal than kind of what happened with Dak Prescott where they waited it out waited it out waited it out yeah you finally give him the big deal but now you still got Dak and you still got a good roster run
0: I look at Dak and I I, at the time I was I was wary too as far as locking him up because of everything that we're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, is Dak really – can you really separate him from 10 or 12 other quarterbacks around the league? There was a point where you couldn't. I'm, I'm a little bit more sold on him, I think, over just the last year plus of watching him, but at the same time, and nice to group. Co- I, and honestly, as bad as it sounds to say, I think the ankle injury and then the comparison between him and Ian Dalton, the same offense, helped him. Oh, it absolutely helped him. It I was... thought – I was wrong on that. I thought it was going to hurt him because – now, first off, the offensive line completely fell apart. They ranked 27th in our rankings, and they just built tackles.
1: No one's gonna, yeah,
0: yeah. They were they were a disaster. But if if the Cowboys' O line was healthy and Dalton was under center, and you have that trio of receivers, I think that's a productive offense. And Dalton did show flashes, but then he was really bad with the playoffs on the line and all that. I, I'm with you. I do think it helped. That plus Dak throwing you know 450 yards per game on the way in, true. I've heard you mention before when you talk, when you talk about arm strength, uh, the deep crossing route. Is that like... So when you're evaluating arm strength, do you have certain throws you're looking at? What do you... Because I've heard you say, hey, if a guy can't make the deep crosser in today's NFL, there's like a certain zip to it, right? I like to look at the guy's like 50-plus yard throws. Just, you do.
1: They just go to immediately the farthest throws they've made. I, I've, that was like the first thing I watched in this quarterback class. Maybe it's you've devolved. Like the ones that they really can pump. And just to see... And then you watch – I like to watch, like, put all the guys on tape back-to-back-to-back to back to back together to kind of see what that looks like for all of them. Yeah. And obviously in this year's class, the difference between Lawrence um, – I, I think Lance had quite easily – not easily, but, like, when watching all those, Lance is the one who came out. Like, that one has cooked just a little bit hotter than the rest, even though they all have big arms. And then besides Jones then, who was like, those were – him putting it all, those were, you know, rainbows. And it was 50-plus yeah. yards, so he had to give it a – you know, A Russell Wilson esque deep ball, but Russell Wilson has a cannon and, and throws it just, uh, that's just stylistically how he throws his deep ball. But, um, but I do like to watch the longest throws. And after that, outside the number stuff is where, because can you, yeah, you could throw hard, but when you throw hard, is it still accurate? Right. And that's the biggest thing with, I worry about with Mac Jones, is that when he is throwing deep, and you watch his tape in Alabama, and yeah, he had a lot of deep completions. But his sort of distance control—it's like he has to—he has to play a three iron when all these other guys are playing seven irons for forty yard throws.
0: Ooh, that's a good comparison. And so it's like it's like
1: the Bryson DeChambeau yeah. of golf. Uh, he he's hitting wedges in when everyone else is hitting. When you can hit a wedge, that forty yard throw is a lot easier.
0: I I, I make fun of the. Um... The scouts that say they had to be there and watch a guy mm-hmm. in person, and all you feel like you're evolving into the got to be there to no. see the arm strength God, no. guy. But I will say, I was at um, when we did the little training camp tour a couple years ago. It was uh, Gino Smith and Ryan Fitzpatrick were in Jets camp running the same offense, and Fitz was what you're describing Mac Jones to be. I mean, it was like a crow hop to to get the ball down the field, but he also just ran the offense so much faster and more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Whereas Gino was just a touch late on everything and then just the spiral was beautiful but it is it's one of those things that you can look at and quantify but it might not matter I mean the same year I watched Sam Bradford was in camp before he got traded with uh, the Eagles and Carson Wentz and I thought Sam I love Sam Bradford I thought Bradford had the most beautiful tight spiral I've ever seen and Wentz has a cannon for an arm Mm -hmm. and the ball came out of Bradford's arm even better I mean just came off his hand even better so it's one of those things that like it's nice to see it's nice and all that stuff but it like you just can't overrate that what was that one the week one game that bradford just dialed it up was that when he
1: was with minnesota right after he got traded so there was and then he just he just lit the world on fire and he had that one like crossing route that went right over a defender's shoulder yeah yes and that was one of the prettiest throws they have the the angle right behind him and it just looks gorgeous it's on my twitter somewhere it it looks like someone you know throwing a dart from like Mile away into dark board. It was
0: a beautiful ball. Yeah. He had two absolutely incredible games with the Vikings. It was the first week of 2016, I believe, uh, against the Saints. Oh no, 17 was against the Saints, and there was a game against the Packers. I think. See, we need Eric to come back on. He would. He would Eric would know would, every single. I <laughs> know.
1: He would put it put us to shame. I he, used to have good recall. He would have the
0: whole game right. back recalled for us. I used to have good recall, and then Eric shows up, and he's got. Better recall it knows everything
1: but I will say the Rams are coming around to our method you, you see you saw about how they're not sending their scouts to the senior bowl anymore they're yeah. not they're trying to keep them home as much as possible to watch as much tape as possible to focus on that part of it and use GPS data and that sort of stuff to evaluate the physical aspects and, and not overrate how the guy looks in shorts how the that guy, is... how the ball comes off his hand and, and actually rely on hard fast things that you can kind of measure and how a guy actually plays the game of football instead of how we might look in a practice setting.
0: That is the next step. Um Daniel Jeremiah mentioned it, you know, teams having tracking data. Mm-hmm. And I can't reveal what we're doing yet, but we'll be there. Um as far as having the tracking data and that will be a game changer. You know, it, it, instead of a, you know, a snowy morning in February at the combine determining how fast you are, yeah. it'll be all 400 routes that you ran in college, you know, and we'll have speed and change of direction and all that stuff and it already exists in in some circles but I think NFL teams don't have it all yet Uh, that will change things Um, and then being able to compare that directly to the NFL Mm -hmm. and saying this is what an NFL receiver does this is what an NFL cornerback does and and being able to make those comparisons and figure out again where that stuff actually matters people have already done some good work even on just past trajectory and velocity and stuff like that right because there's certainly more than just pure velocity. Yeah, I think anytime you can
1: take away the subjectiveness of ooh that was that looked fast. Yeah. Well, it's like a guy looks fast and it happens a lot at small schools. You know, f their group of 5 stuff. Where it's like, oh, that, uh, that corner looks fast. Well, he's the, it's because the wide receiver is going up against runs 4 7. I hate yeah, that. It's like, ooh, look at that makeup speed. Well, it's because the guy he was running against
0: uh, isn't going to sniff the league and just came off you know, the street. So. I thought Richard Higgins in college looked really fast. I mean, that dude had, he averaged like 25 yards on screen passes. Yeah, and you take him to the house and he ran like a 4.68 or whatever at the combine. He's been a good NFL receiver, but he, I thought he was a good athlete in mm-hmm. college at Colorado State. Uh, what about guys who show up in the well. NFL and just look small? Like I thought Tua just looked small last year. And I thought the arm looked small. I just I, – I, that's one thing I can't stand either is when, <laughs> is when a guy just looks different when, he, when you yeah. see him in an NFL. No, NFL.
1: I, that was – actually that was Burrow with me. I was like – Really? I always thought arm was not strong. But then he comes in year one and I was like, oof, that's about, that's about like bottom of the barrel in the NFL. It's about as weak as it gets. Now – They've been talking about his zip. Uh, you know, they've talked about him lifting. And yeah. T. Higgins has said it's got a little more. So his hands were hurting, but um, he needed it because he was, like I said, about as weak as it gets in the NFL. Well,
0: I've always been of the mind, I, I'm, as a former thrower, Mike, you mm-hmm. can, it's not like you add five to 10 miles an hour in your 20s. But it, I honestly think it depends on what your training has been previously. And if you haven't trained up yeah. to your to when you're 22 or 23, and you do train properly, there's a reason why people in Major League Baseball are all throwing high 90s. Like everybody in the bullpens, high 90s into 100. The training programs are that much better. So I will say you can improve velocity, but it depends on what your starting point is. If it's if it's bad. I mean, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, of course. He came He's, into the NFL yeah. was not. No one was raving about Aaron Rodgers as a god tier arm. Yeah,
1: like no one was raving about that, and then. NFL weight rooms. Obviously he was very young when he was drafted. What is he? Just turned twenty one, Raymond Not. his
0: throwing motion and a little then, bit and everything. All of a sudden he's got, you know, about as strong an arm as we see in the past decade. Yeah. And, and even if, if you watch Brady's rookie season in two thousand eleven, like he was floating the ball and there was a reason why he went in the sixth round. He didn't have a cannon in college, but his short and intermediate velocity is has always been as good as it gets. I've said that with I think Zach Wilson. We could see a bump in even him
1: and he even has a hose right now, but he's very underdeveloped physically and young yeah and just the way he throws his all-arm if he just gets a little like lower body strength to him i think he can add some velocity
0: also. that was a big part of rogers too he's just got such great torque in his lower body so there's mechanical yeah. things as well too before we get into the 2022 draft don't forget pff has partnered with symbol that's S I M B U L L. more ways to gamble here mike stop mar- the stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win Symbol is blended sports in the stock market to offer you a new way to invest and profit off your favorite teams. You can bet on your Brewers because MLB is in full swing. Rest of the summer, you can do all that. Daily cash payouts. NFL is still having moves, big moves. Julio Jones going to the Titans. So you can still bet on NFL teams here in the middle of the summer. So whoever lands the next Julio – be sure to get in there early. Use the promo code PFF. Deposit ten dollars at symbol slash PFF to earn a free PFF annual subscription. It's promo code PFF with a ten dollar deposit at symbol slash PFF to earn a free annual subscription. Have you seen Ohio is closing in on
1: maybe legalizing sports betting by the fall? Really? Will you bet if they do in here? If they do,
0: would you? I could dabble here maybe and better. there. We're uh, just.
1: I definitely would. I don't now. Right? I, yeah. I will... I know people that go over to Indiana just to hop at a gas station and then place bets. Really, and come back. That's not you. Not now. me. I'm not. But that the convenience
0: it. factor would. But man, if it was convenient, you. yeah.
1: My brother live bets golf because he lives in Chicago, and I'm like, you have to have better things to do than live betting golf. That's oh man. But he's like, it gives you a gives you a little vested interest in each hole.
0: I've never been that into it uh, to gambling in general, but mm-hmm. um, it. it It'll be good for our business. I'll say that the more, the more people that are interested in wrong. numbers that will help them make money. Yeah, let's just say that. Uh, let's touch on Aaron Rodgers really quickly, okay? Because you talked about it. What What's your prediction? What
1: What happens with Rodgers? Was wearing a Rodgers jersey yesterday at the Reds game, got a lot of go Packers. A few yeah. people saying he's going to play the Brewers game. You with yeah, is that the Brewers Reds game. Bruce lost. Did you
0: say hi to uh, Lorenzo for me.
1: No, he's yeah. on the IL. Oh, is he? Um, yeah, sadly didn't play. But I don't think he's playing for the Packers anymore. Really? The, yeah. he, the further we get into June, though, he doesn't talk to his own family. This is the thing I keep going back to. I'm, yeah, I agree. He's one of the most stubborn, self-driven individuals in you know, NFL history. If he has made up his mind on something, which I don't think he's posturing at this point, because the contract situ- it's not a contract situation that's like untenable, if that's what it was. If he's made up his mind on something, he's made up his mind on something. You're not going to change his mind, is what I'm I'm of the opinion. So I I just think that the Packers would be smart to recognize that and sell high. You're not going to get – he plays – even if he plays at an MVP level again this year, and again, like I said, I don't think he's going to play for the Packers. Even if he does, you're you're never going to get more from a trade that you get right now. You get a lot
0: for him sam i completely disagreed with sam's take on the worst he said that the worst case scenario for the packers was trading him and then having him go win a super bowl elsewhere when i was like well the the worst case scenario is retirement yeah that's the worst case because you get nothing in return and that's very likely if they if they try to call us bluff in my opinion oh man so you really don't even think – you don't even think they just reconcile for, like, a year. because So isn't his his rift is more with the structure of the organization and the whole deal, right? But not LaFleur, right? It, or, not LaFleur. And it's been positioned – because people have tried to talk about their little feud for the last two years and this and that. But clearly, they were best friends last year. You know, we're using motion more. We're doing this. We're throwing 44 touchdowns and four picks. Yeah. No, it's not LaFleur. It's not players
1: on the roster. I don't even think it's the drafting of wide receivers. It's just the treating – players like it's a business instead of their family sort of thing like not yeah not giving that respect to the guys who have rightfully earned it and
0: i, I don't blame him whatsoever if that's his take on it i mean so is that a structural issue in green bay that there there are figureheads but there's not the figurehead right you don't you're not going to shad Khan or you're not going to that's Robert why i think it's on,
1: that's why i think it's not going to be solved because there's no there's no guy to fire it's, they all make decisions I'd get rid of Yankee. <laughs> get rid of Nathan. Get him out of there. Uh, it, it's. I mean, you have Mark Murphy as the president, but he answers to the board. Who He's the president, but they make decisions together with Gutekunst, who's more uh, the evaluator. And it's this whole thing that I think he's upset at everyone there, not just, hey, you fired Gutekunst and we're good.
0: It's just the way they've gone about their business. So this is what I do here. I don't stay on, on schedule. That reminded me of something. Okay. Gut said something in his press conference. I don't know. Did you hear his press conference at all after the draft? Yeah. talking about Amari Rogers. was wearing, like, the funeral suit, (laughs) all black. (laughs) George couldn't get over it. George mentioned it 15 times. If you had the over on how many times George was going to mention his suit on the draft show, you you won. Um, But he mentioned for Amari Rogers, you know how we sit here and we're like, oh, you have the trade chart, and you got to do this, and here's the strategy. He said, just go get him. And he was telling the story about uh, when they, um, Ted Thompson went to get clay matthews mm-hmm. you know over 10 years ago and you know he just said go get clay matthews and everybody's like oh what do you want to give up he said just get the player i don't I care yeah. he didn't even care that's what the packers did with amari rogers is that what are your thoughts on that strategy go get this one player i don't care what it takes i mean so
1: that's been his mo which was not ted thompson's mo i'm team ted thompson all the way that was a rare move for the, ted to say that yeah, about clay. the biggest thing that ted thompson his biggest downfall was not recognizing that salary cap was going to skyrocket I thought the way he went about with trading down not ever pigeonholing himself into one player trying to make sound business decisions when at all times was the correct way to sort of build around Aaron Rodgers just give yourself this big window and at some point you'll hit the biggest thing he screwed up was was not sort of sort of plugging that roster's holes realizing that the cap hit was not going to be Uh, unmanageable and and unworkable in the future years like you didn't have to keep all this space just in case you know xyz happened the cap was going to double or uh, the cap was going to keep going up started 125 million in 2010 and then it got up to or even less than that maybe like 110 million and it got up 200 million over the course of a decade and just not seeing that that was going to happen i think was their biggest downfall losing players like casey hayward Micah hyde that did not sign big deals elsewhere that they just could have easily fit under with a little bit of cat magic. And not even a little bit of cat magic, just could have fit under, but just didn't have that foresight. Yeah,
0: I I pick my spots, but I like to listen to some of those press conferences because you get nuggets like that Mm -hmm. where you just get into the brains of the evaluators. Uh, I thought Chris Ballard had a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, and then every team found football players. Every team. It's not even an advantage because there was, what, how many, 257 or whatever players drafted that just love football. So it's not even an advantage anymore because every team got – guys who love football football. yeah guys who fit their culture so speaking of guys who love who who loves football in the 2022 draft high level you're early in the evaluation process here right we're gonna have a preseason draft guide again Mm -hmm. yes what are the strengths and weaknesses of this draft it's gonna be
1: and much needed if you look at the nfl landscape today probably the best cornerback class that we've seen since we started doing this here at pff best one really if they all declare now it's a very good cornerback class you have Obviously, Derek Stingley Jr. People have been talking about him since freshman year. Highest grade, PFF grade as true freshman, you know, Derwin James-esque when he came out. Derwin was the highest grade as a freshman. Um, he's going to be a dude. Uh, you got Kyer Elam from Florida, who's exceptional as well. Just kind of an all-around corner. Ahmad Gardner, Sauce Gardner, hometown guy. Yeah, uh, actually even from Cincinnati. Right, he's, what he's going to be he's on the show. The, right? Austin's seen. Austin's yeah. working. We're going to get, get him, him, on him on the show. Up. But he's been another guy. He's a true freshman, 90-plus coverage grade, uh, long, athletic dude. You have Martin Emerson from Mississippi State. You have uh, Andrew Booth from Clemson. Uh, you have Darren Kendrick, who's transferred to Georgia. you got a lot of guys who could be in that first-round mix at the cornerback position. So probably one of the strong cornerback classes. Like the, How I felt about last year's wide receiver class heading into the season, that's what I would say about this cornerback class, which like, this is like this could be
0: very, very good is it going to be enough we've had back-to-back really good receiver classes now we're just a few years removed from the year calvin ridley came out and michael gallup i remember we uh, dj Moore, but we were putting the rankings together and we were like everybody feels like the third or fourth best receiver in the class nobody felt like a one even though those guys all ended up being productive Um, do you think it's the nature of the receiver position though where so from an from an evaluation perspective it's easier to look at a receiver and say he can do this this and this and if that's what you ask him to do he's productive and he's a two or he's a three and that's valuable versus corner where you it's not even about what they can do it's like well you can't really have weaknesses because in the nfl you truly have to other couple you got to you gotta play zone you got to play man you got to play press yeah. you got to play off do you think we're too favorable in wide receiver evaluations because the nature of the position lends it to what yeah, he can do i agree yeah i think we are where it's like oh we in general fits not it's perfectly PFF, into xyz yeah. scheme
1: uh you know if you have a slot role they just throw him screens every time oh he's gonna be great it's like yeah. that's probably there's zero chance it's gonna actually be his role in the nfl so yeah i do think you can overrate saying this guy does one thing well just have him do that one thing Mm-hmm that's not how necessarily an NFL offense works. I, I do agree with that assessment.
0: The uh, the DK Metcalf example though is a is a good one, right? Because you said if he's a vertical receiver and uses his speed and uses his body on slants or whatever, it's like he could be really productive. And I know he does a few more of those things in Seattle, but it's pretty much that, right? It's like yeah. go balls and back shoulders and slants and and you got the best deep ball thrower and it, and it works out. You can't actually do that at the NFL level. So corner, but
1: that's but that that's where. And as I said, the, why we focus on winning down the football field. Because that's where you can if, – if you want a guy to just run goes and posts and whatever, that's a role that exists in a lot of offenses. Right. So just the guy who goes deep. That That is a role. But the guy who's underneath, that is
0: not a role. So cornerback's really deep. The NFL absolutely does need that. Because mm-hmm. I think if you were just ranking the top 10 to 15 corners in the NFL, I don't think there's a clear consensus. I, it, there's – they need help in the, covering these incredible offenses. How about your boy Kyle Hamilton at uh, at Notre Dame? Love Kyle Hamilton. I, I said there, there's a few. There's a few. So last year I thought
1: there was one blue-chip defensive player, Micah Parsons. After that, I didn't think there was any guy where it's like he's going to be a stud in the NFL. Like if he doesn't become a stud, it's because of injuries or off-field or whatever. Uh, I think in this upcoming class there's a few. I would throw Stingley, obviously, in there. Kyle Hamilton, I would throw in there as well. Notre Dame safety. He's 6'4", 220. He's huge. Yeah, he's a unique safety. And so he's Isaiah Simmons-esque, but I think he actually stays at safety. Really? Or if not, like plays a Derwin James role. He's not going to be a linebacker. He is a safety. He is that good in space. I brought this up on the two-point drafts. Go listen. But the he broke up a dig route against 2-2 Atwell, one-on-one. A dig route against 2-2 Atwell. Two two rounds of four three whatever like like one of the fastest wide receivers in college football second round pick, this is a safety who is six four two twenty and he is stride for stride with him on a dig as road. a true that freshman was, right this was no first, this, was past, this year. Is past year okay that shouldn't be possible you know that like that like if you were a 5'10", 190 safety
0: that you shouldn't stick with 2-2 at Atwell but he did he's a he's a monster his first pass breakup was as a true freshman against Louisville and mm-hmm. I his his eyes were incredible on the play i mean that's that's one thing from a safety yeah. position watching here's what is reed supposed to be here's where he's supposed to, here's where he's supposed to get to he does that and then he does something else which was break on an underneath route i mean he some of the plays he's made in coverage are absolutely incredible yeah. at his size so the secondary is going to get some help maybe yes. in the uh, in the nfl yeah jordan battle from alabama is a really good safety too uh, it's
1: uh, top of the cornerback class top of the safety class and top-of-the-edge class I like better than this past year, probably.
0: Okay, because, yeah, definitely defensively, I mean, there wasn't a defensive player. When was the first defensive player off the board this year? Eight. Eight. So, Jason Horn. That's right. So I keep – I always – by the way, I don't know if this happens to you, I get more confused by my old mock drafts. Sometimes yeah. I put a, mo- a guy in a mock in the second yeah. round. I'm like, oh, he was a second-rounder to that team, and it wasn't reality. So my mind is is clouded. But we were talking about a defensive player, maybe not being off the board until ten or eleven. He comes off at eight. Mm-hmm. This should be different next year with some of these blue chippers that you're talking yeah. about. Damon um, Thibodeau,
1: Morgan, yeah, Demarvin Leal from Texas am 2 defensive linemen that they'll go top ten.
0: Are you higher on Leal than everybody else at the moment?
1: I don't know where everyone else, there's. It's still too early to say where yeah. everyone else is at on people, but that guy is awesome.
0: Thibodeau's the one who has all the Thibodeau's the one hype. who has
1: all the hype, and rightfully so. I mean, he has the kind of that all-around ideal edge traits of size, 6'5", 250 plus, probably 34-something-inch arms, gets off the ball like he's a wide receiver. Uh, He has that skill set that just wins consistently and already uses his length really well. Leo is the one who, so he's 290-plus pounds, 6'4", 290. And he plays edge. He's not going to play edge in the NFL. No no one's 290 still playing edge in the NFL. That's a rarity so cameron jordan he's gonna be on the interior but he wins yeah he wins on the edge like his first step off the edge is absurd that guy can get off the ball so i'm excited to see when he does if he plays a little more on the interior what he looks like because
0: he could be special what about offensively uh this quarterback class got hyped up a little bit we we always knew trevor lawrence was there coming into the year we knew Tr- Justin Fields was there. Mm-hmm. It was those two. And all of a sudden, Zach Wilson shows up and Mac Jones shows up and we knew Trey Lance was in there, right? Yeah. Quarterback class. There's no consensus number one yet, but in recent years, we've seen Joe Burrow. We've seen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyler Murray. Or is there a consensus number one? I think Spencer text? Rattler. I'd be hard-pressed to
1: find a board or someone who doesn't have the opinion that Rattler's number one right now. But I, I think he's the only one. So on the PFF board, if we think guy's a franchise-type quarterback that's going to... Know, has, can be a top 10, 12 quarterback in the NFL, whatever, you, you line them up at the top of the draft because that's how you should draft. <laughs> if, right. if a guy's that good at a quarterback position, you should draft them unless you got Patrick Mahomes, um, and then, in which case you're not going to be able to draft that guy. But that's how we line up our draft board. When the draft board comes out, it's only going to be Spencer Rattler at the top and no one else at two. I, I don't think there's anyone else right now that I would say is that sort of guy. And the names, Sam Howell, Keaton Slovis, Sam Howell of North Carolina, Keaton Slovis of USC uh you know JT Daniels Georgia Malik Willis Liberty there, there are names out there that are talented dudes I just would not put any of them in that air yet Malik Willis is
0: getting all the hype because that highlight reel is ridiculous yeah, I was say that, that he's the fun to watch he's the hashtag fun to watch guy I don't I watched uh only his big time throws first mm-hmm. 20 of them last year 19 or 20 of them and I was I was sold I think what do you think if I, I've got opinions on his arm what do you where do you think his arm stands it's
1: i think it's the strongest of any of these guys bar none he had a i
0: think it's allen territory yeah i, I do too it's in it, josh it's allen a, land
1: it's a monster and he has you know like a like a 30 30 yard throws that just don't leave don't go higher than his helmet yeah because you know, like, he has a little three quarters release and it just zips he has really a can of an arm
0: what do you make of Slovis or Sam Howell and and these guys that have um, they've been pretty productive tools wise? Are they? I think Howell up is, to I par? think Howell
1: has a very strong arm. Also, he's more size is going to be the thing with him. He he, he Baker Mayfield esque size. Like he's just a shade. He might be six foot. Yeah, like two twenty. Uh, not not your athletic, but like like Baker Mayfield, where he's like athletic enough to make a little bit, but not going to rely on it and I just that offense is so just absurdly simplistic it's Baylor plus right
0: I yeah. mean it's that it's that and, and when yeah, we it, describe no, one, Baylor, no one goes full Baylor anymore <laughs> yeah the <laughs> which, the the Baylor offensive. offense was again we always describe this this was one of the di- most difficult ones to evaluate quarterbacks because there were literally no reads it was spread it out as far as you can across the field find one-on-one chuck it deep. <laughs> I was gonna say is it was counting numbers is what it was
1: it was how many numbers are on that side how many defenders are on that side pick pick them on a
0: few yeah my four and five year old are pretty good at
1: counting right yeah. now they they got that yeah so. so that's why bryce petty looks like he did there and then like he did at the jets
0: yeah the the baylor tree is obnoxious to me from a player evaluation standpoint they're tough yeah um emory jones florida emory jones is my dark
1: horse breakout guy that's your guy yeah he, he's very talented like physically what he can do as a runner what he has from an arm strength perspective, I, I was encouraged by how he looked against Oklahoma coming in for Trask. Obviously, after the wheels came off with Trask in that game, not not putting him in any sort of first, second, third round conversation yet. But I do think the tools, and obviously he's in an offense with Dan Mullen that's
0: probably going to they're going to set use, him up to look good. They've they've used him as a change of pace a lot the last couple yeah. of years as far as running the ball. Yeah, he's and the runner. Whatever. He'll add. It'll look more like Dak's offense rather you know um, under Mullen. Yeah, where Dak that was that was a tough part about Dak too. They used him on QB power and counter so much, and he actually was really comfortable just dropping back and chucking it. Um, it was someone else. Oh, um, Matt Corral at Ole Miss. That's another kind of like a Baylor. It's Lane Kiffin, but Mm -hmm. stealing some of the Baylor esque concepts. I do uh, Mississippi radio every week, and they're just they're ready. They're ready. They're all in on Corral in the first round, and I was like, dude, guys, he's listed at six one. You know he's probably 5'11 and, a half, and that's gonna that's gonna ding him in the NFL. Do you have any thoughts on? See, Corral I'm at this biased point? against Matt Corral because I love John Reese Pl-
1: Plumley. Oh, okay. He was yeah. that guy was electric. That, that was the best runner at the quarterback position in college football. Yeah, he was, and just got benched because Keepers they for like throw seventy for sure. yards left <laughs> and right because they wanted to throw the ball, whatever. But Corral's uh, a baller. Corral's, Corral's he's good. I, I wouldn't put him close to the air of like even a first rounder at this point. He's very
0: consistent but describe um i want to talk rattler really quick so he's the he's the clear top guy for you yeah what's his skill set like what are we thinking when he was recruited people like oh this is just a hybrid between kyler murray and baker mayfield nice job over there at oklahoma i mean stylistically like the way he throws the ball looks a
1: lot like Kyler murray like the arm how it whips uh he's i think was seth galena described him as the gen z um quarterback whatever that like the, if that elicits thoughts in your mind it didn't mine, and it's perfect because he's he kind of takes the the sort of what everyone's looking for of the outside the pocket you know out of structure plays he takes that to the extreme it's yeah. all outside of structure with that. yeah and, and now he's got ridiculous arm talent very athletic add on the run game but it is not he is not really playing a lot within the oklahoma offense it's a lot of and they're even like scheming it up uh, lincoln riley is in that offense to kind of give him almost like late reads where it's like this is a play that's designed to it goes here but then uh four seconds late four seconds after the snap it'll go here because like your route will break off to this intentionally because we know spencer Rattler can do this because we know we have an offensive line that can probably do this
0: fascinating i yeah. it, i was i was listening to seth and um their podcast i think last week they had coach Voss on yep. talking the defense group just the the nitty-gritty, X's and O's and all that stuff. Really great stuff. So go check that out. Um, but even just listening to that about how, like, in um, in 7-on-7, seven seven, they were saying how when you coach 7-on-7 seven seven in high school, there you have, like, essentially four seconds yeah. to run a play. So you you just your coverages are different. It's mm-hmm. not like cover this zone. When you're teaching defense, it's like cover this zone, but also this one after three seconds and all this stuff. Switch, yeah. It's almost like the offensive version of that. But it also feels like this adjustment to all the three-man rushes you see In college football, Mm -hmm. Um, just to compare to Brady again, like when you rush three against, say, Brady in the red zone, it's happened his whole career. He just, he's patient. Like, good quarterbacks are just patient. They're like, oh, I know three men are rushing. I know there's going to be a lane to step into somewhere. Whereas other quarterbacks, they're just so structurally Mm -hmm. trained, they just say, I'm just going to go through my reads. But against it, yeah, yeah.
1: within the function of timing
0: yeah like I I remember Stafford actually doing that a ton three-man rush and he's just like I'm going one to two to three and throwing it instead of actually saying let me find the pass rush lane it sounds like that's Rattler right I mean you've got these three-man rushes and it's like I don't need to throw the ball yep. on time right I'm so gonna watch me do this I'm <laughs> gonna wait I'm gonna make you cover four and five seconds and uh, and break it down yeah. um, if there's a thread between Mahomes and Josh Allen as like the breakout players when you were describing those guys coming out of college, it was they are so comfortable outside the pocket; they're not as comfortable inside the pocket. Mahomes, because he would do this, just yeah. leave the pocket, whereas Allen just wasn't really accurate or you know timing to, wise. Yeah. But they had instincts, they had passing feel, they had playmaking ability. Is that the X factor? I so I love. I I've, I've said
1: this a few times. The And this is not mine this was daniel jeremiah and bucky brooks on their podcast they talk about a shooter versus a scorer at the quarterback position josh allen patrick mahomes they can score they can nothing has to go right with anyone else and they can put points on the board uh a shooter has to get almost schemed opener like has to has to get the ball with the lane has to have a guy open has to see a guy open uh and so the guys that can score are the guys that are winning more in the NFL, winning more in the NBA? You want the scores. Not to say you can't fill up a box score as a shooter. Like you can you know, what's his face? Who's the Klay Thompson can put up sixty in a game, but it has to be because other guys are doing it around him too. You can't just drop a shooter in and ask him to continually win you games. I like that analogy. I do too. So I use it
0: a lot. That's a good no, that's it's a good all, analogy. Yeah. I mean, because I usually just speak in tiers, QB tiers, and I think ultimately you do get that those types of guys mm-hmm. the interesting thing to me is if you if you watch Peyton Brady breeze throughout their career even though it doesn't look like Mahomes they do actually have elements of that where it's like hey everything's covered I'm still going to put it where it needs to go exactly. or I'll buy it's, time it's, it, so not it's not just, it's not highlight real plays yeah necessarily. it's not always just that a lot of it can be just
1: throwing a guy open like a back shoulder to a guy who's covered right of you know, Aaron Rodgers over the course of his career like having a guy who it's nothing's there but you create it because of how you play the quarterback position
0: all right, what else do we need to know about this 2022 draft class receivers uh, receivers
1: it, it's a lull at receivers it is not the all-world class that we've seen before one and two on the board of the Ohio State guys Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. they're very good after those two I would put those two in the first round mix there's not another guy where I'm like first rounder haven't watched the tape so so it has that, been the year cyclical. The there was probably like five or five or so guys that you watch at this point. You're like, that guy's probably going to be the first rounder.
0: So it is cyclical, yeah. the, the receiver thing. It, people like to speak
1: trends. Oh, there's going to be five receivers in the first round every year. Yeah. I, I don't think that's going to be the case this upcoming season. Now, it, it doesn't necessarily mean, uh, but I, 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 I do think there is an influx of wide receiver talent. Like it's, it, it is somewhat of a trend, but it's not, oh, every class is, can't miss
0: guys now. I think the hardest position to predict how strong it's going to be is O line because there are so many guys. It, it is the position okay. where you see consistent development. Guys get stronger in the whole thing. So they'll be quote unquote breakout players. Yeah. But is there, is there an early view across the line if it's strong or uh, lower on first round talent? I, I think
1: it's definitely lower in this patch. This patch was ridiculously deep. It doesn't have the top end that we had two years ago either. That one's, I don't see a lot of classes matching that where he had Werfs, and Wills um thomas but i do think there's a number of guys that i would put in first round conversation right now uh, evan neal from alabama at tackle was the right tackles past year tyler lindebaum from iowa is the center now he's put a lot of interior office linemen in the first round but he he was in our preseason top 50 last year yeah and then back to school beat tristan worse wrestling in high school really he beat tristan worse wrestling i don't think he lost maybe like one other time oh give me that guy yeah you want that guy yeah I want <laughs> that guy him. on my team absolutely yeah and he started defensive line at Iowa as a freshman
0: and then switched over to center and he's been their center the last two years so, I like that right did um what about Andrew Thomas this year I know you had some thought on so I'm just oh. I'm bouncing all over the place Giants offensive tackle struggled early on he was our top tackle coming out and he was he you was see, not great thing as a was, rookie
1: Every single person on that Giants line. I want to know who their offensive line coach was. I mean, they fired him midseason, right? They they wasn't that right. Because even guys like who's the left guard there that we like coming out? Hernandez. Will Hernandez. Will yeah. Hernandez. Career worst pass blocking grade. Yeah. Career worst. Like is it, that was year three. Right. And he has the worst. And that's, that's when that's, you're that's supposed when you to be getting better, you know? yeah. Uh no one was pass blocked. Like they they just whatever they were coaching, whatever they were telling these guys to do was not working for anybody. So I'm making excuses for myself right yeah. here, but no. But, it, but it's, I mean, Kevin Zeitler, 59.2 pass blocking grade last year. Kevin he had Zeitler, his worst one of the season. best yeah. pass protectors of the past decade. Like they were across the board underperforming. And when that's the case, it's like, that seems a little bit of a, I'm, I'm I, I do think he makes a pretty significant leap in year two.
0: I'm trying to defend my number 32 ranking of the Giants' offensive line, and, and I did it on the last podcast. I was just trying to explain. I, I can see them all getting better. I just don't have evidence right now. Yeah, I can see Thomas getting better. I could see it's either Matt Parrot or Nate Solder at right tackle, and you know whoever wins that job will probably be solid. If Parrot wins it, good mm-hmm. for him. You know he's a good developmental prospect. Um, they put Nick Gates at center after not even snapping the ball in his college or NFL career. I mean, so there are areas to get better. But, yeah, Andrew Thomas was that uh, that big question mark there. Yeah. Well, awesome, man. That was great. Anything else great. you want to discuss while you're on the on the big show here? Any other good theories? Or, uh, Ooh, theories. Got any theories or scouting terms? Bring it all. What, oh, what you got here? we are.
1: On the spot. We're going to try to create some new scouting terms. This is going to be the goal for – Next, next i sent you one last call. night are next you gonna implement that one it's a tinder linebacker who's got he's good with his hand swiping left and right
0: i was listening to the show and you said this guy you said he doesn't necessarily want to take on blocks he's just a swipe left swipe right guy so i was like that's tinder a tinder backer, backer. tinder backer that tinder backer
1: that one's gonna get utilized that's gonna be put into put into a lot of different tinder edge it's this sw- guy who just swipes well <laughs> Swipe. You're oh, t- position. T- if
0: you're swiping well you're you're tinder are you gonna backer. add tinder to everything then huh <laughs> Well, I'm excited
1: to, to do. We're gonna do the. I'm uh, gonna do the trait grades, this summer. That's oh, we're gonna I'm go.
0: To are we gonna go through that? Yeah, I am. Excellent. That's what I excited to do. Do you think it's worth backfilling, going backwards and trying to do it? or <sighs> Are we gonna to be too biased?
1: That's what I think. I think you risk putting bad data if you backfill.
0: Yeah. So just to front just to explain that. So. Our goal here at PFA, we want to be really good at evaluating players. We want to be as good as possible. And I do think what you talked about at the beginning of the show was the ability to go back and say, hey, we just focused on production early on. We've learned a few things. And, um, and Eric has done a really good job in his projection system. And it's like, okay, what data are we going to ingest before we spit out how we're going to project guys going forward? Production is still the biggest one, uh, higher at some positions than others athleticism depending on the position certainly matters right if you're mm-hmm. evaluating an edge get a productive guy who's athletic you're probably going to hit 80 90 percent of the yeah. time you're going to be fine other positions it's not as cut and dry but the one thing that we might be missing is just truly quantifying traits not just saying this guy's a knee bender this guy's uh you know got explosive but actually putting hard numbers Number. to that and this could help i think bridge the gap as far as Production, yeah. athleticism, and then just describing on-field play, yeah. right? Like, it's still, it's still a subjective
1: nature of, hey, how explosive is this guy? But if you put – you put it, you can put it as a more accurate data point than just saying he's explosive, how explosive? you think yeah. he's a nine explosive or do you think he's a six explosive? Because those are both explosive. Those probably both get explosive on a scouting report, but they're, one might lead to more success, the guys who are really at the high end versus the maybe mid-tier
0: guys. I like it. I'll play this game with you. I'll add – we'll do it we're just trying to add more data to the mix yep to uh improve our projections going forward so check out mike and austin gale it's the two for one drafts podcast soon to be something else complete rebrand coming up soon we're gonna call it uh evolution business mike and evolution um the entire check out me on the chris collinsworth podcast this week so chris usually has this nice tight one hour podcast i think we went for over two hours this week it's not easy old men like chris and i going for two hours but uh we broke down every single team do you have some performance enhancing drugs well chris it was chris's fault okay. he comes in he's like oh, let's, let's just go team by team i'm like do you know what you're getting <laughs> yeah, into
1: 32 teams
0: we were 10 teams in an hour into the pod and i'm just like we're gonna finish this thing huh um that's how sam and i end up going for two hours all yeah. the time oh yeah because it's like oh we, everybody's get gonna everyone. get some love yeah. we actually forgot the texans and by the end chris is like ah forget it texans who Texas cares? fans wouldn't want to hear it anyway. They don't need to. They're off. Yeah. They're taking a the year off. We'll talk to you in 2022 to preview. But yeah. go check me out on the Chris Collinsworth podcast and uh, the fantasy podcast. Ian Hartitz doing a great job over there. Subscribe to that one because it's everything you need for uh, for fantasy season. And then the PFF 2021 best ball draft kit is out. PFF.com. So go check that out as well. All right, Mike. We might not have you on the show for a while. So yeah. any, we've got millions of listeners. What else? Parting shots yeah uh go listen to two for one drafts it's great yeah go go listen to two for one we're trying to prop those guys up give them a uh need it need just more it, it is um how has the podcast evolved even before the the rebrand um we've been
1: we've we've, we've ventured from not as much hardcore player analysis to more uh talk about just scouting in general and the entertaining aspects of the draft that are that I enjoy because you, there's only so much you can like dive into these guys before you get these
0: eyes. I would say, run. yeah, the, the high level topics are probably more interesting than like linebacker 15. Yeah. Most likely. So I still like linebacker 15 though. No, it's, it's the fun part here because sometimes yeah. that guy ends up being good. It's, it's, uh, it, it, it's fun. So anyway, go check them out. Thanks to Mike for joining us. Sam will be Thank back you. next week. We'll be back here on Monday with more nfl discussion don't forget to email me at nflpodcast.pff.com you might be on the show you'll be our listener of the week thanks to everybody for tuning in we'll see you next week